This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. So I was in a public policy class in college. I was learning about the development of welfare policies for children and families. You see, I was studying family and child sciences, so I was very interested in learning how to promote well-being and wholeness and health among children and families. And while I was in this class, I began to learn about the plight of many children in the city in which I lived. I learned statistics of how many children go to bed hungry, how many children are joining gangs at young ages, how many children drop out of school and never finish high school. And it was shocking and heartbreaking for me to discover how many children did not enjoy the middle-class luxuries that I enjoyed. And so as I was in this class, I started to research all the different organizations in the city in which I lived that were um, getting involved in the lives of these children. So I learned about programs and people who were doing something about the plight of children. And I was initially relieved that somebody was doing something about this problem. But... Eventually, I realized that even these programs, even these people who were doing something about it, they had their limits. They had their capacity. They could only reach so many children. How many children and families were left, I wondered. Who would come alongside them? So have you ever heard the story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody? Well, there was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. And so it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could. Confusing, I know, but you get the point. I was everybody in this scenario, and I was sure that somebody or anybody smarter than I was on the problem until I heard the voice of God calling to me, Laura, you do something about it. Laura, you do something about it. Well, soon after I heard this calling from God, I learned about a tutoring program at an um, inner-city mission congregation that worked um, and cared for and empowered folks who were living in poverty or struggling with hunger and housing. And so I signed up for this tutoring program, and I spent two afternoons a week for three years working with children, providing them with dinner, tutoring them, mentoring elementary school kids from the roughest parts of town. It wasn't a grand gesture to solve all the problems of the world, but it was one way that God was calling me to do something about it. I didn't do this because I knew anything about tutoring. I didn't know anything about the struggle that these kids were living in, in poverty. I knew nothing. I had no special skills or knowledge to change their situations. I did this because I saw a need that tugged at my heart, and I heard God saying to me clearly, Laura, you do something about it. Well, Jesus' disciples followed him to a remote place near a city called Bethsaida. 
They had just come back from traveling throughout the region in pairs where Jesus had sent them out to do the work of the gospel. And they had just come back to Jesus from their mission work abroad. And it had been a long journey, a long time apart. And so Jesus retreated with his disciples to where they thought was a deserted place. But the crowds got wind that Jesus and his disciples were in this deserted place And so they followed Jesus there. They came in droves to see Jesus. If the disciples were anything like me, they would have surely said to Jesus, Jesus, send them home. We're tired. But Jesus welcomed them. He taught them about the kingdom of God. He healed those who needed healing. And this is where we pick up in the story from Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 12. The day was drawing to a close, and the twelve came to Jesus and said, Send the crowd away so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions. For we are here in a deserted place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all of these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so and made them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. All ate and were filled. What was left over was gathered up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. So we're in a sermon series called Generous, where we're celebrating the ways that God is generous to us and the ways that God's generosity flows through us into the world. And this story from Luke about feeding of the 5,000 is one of the most beloved stories in Scripture, and it showcases the generosity of God. Interesting fact, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. Of all the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the only miracle that's consistent in all four of them, which tells us it's very important. It's a very important story. And I think this story is so important because it tells us of the generous miracles that God can accomplish, but it's also important because it tells us how God's generosity is meant to flow through us in order to bless others. So I invite you to think about this story from the perspective of the disciples. I can picture picture myself in their shoes, and I invite you to do the same. They were tired after a long day, after a long couple of weeks, and I can see myself pulling Jesus aside and saying, Jesus, I know you're just getting going on your sermon here, but their bellies are starting to grumble, like they're starting to get hungry, so I think it's time for you to wrap it on up and send them on their way where they can get food and find a place to stay, because we're in a remote place here, Jesus. And then Jesus simply said to them, you give them something to eat. You do something about it. 
Never mind that there wasn't a supermarket anywhere nearby. There wasn't a Costco where they can go buy giant platters of food. So they protest. They say, Jesus, we only have five loaves of bread, like small loaves of bread and two fish. How is that going to feed all of the thousands of people here? And yet Jesus' words echoed in their hearts. You give them something to eat. You do something about it. Now, some might say that Jesus was placing unrealistic expectations on their disciples. Some might say that Jesus was setting them up for failure. But what I see is that Jesus was extending them an amazing invitation. Jesus was inviting them to be a part of his generous work. Jesus was inviting them to be a part of his miracle. Jesus was inviting them to intentionally do something about the need that was right in front of them. This moment in the disciples' lives is also an important part of our journey of discipleship. If we spend our lives only learning about Jesus, then we can only call ourselves his student. But if we spend our lives intentionally doing as Jesus does, that's when we can call ourselves his disciple. Because discipleship is all about being intentional. Discipleship is about intentionally choosing to do what Jesus did. And here's the thing that we must always remember in our life of discipleship. When Jesus calls us, Jesus equips us. When Jesus invites us, Jesus empowers us. This is what we see happening in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus told his disciples, you give them something to eat. And so they gathered their measly meal of five loaves and two fish, everything that they had, and they gave it to Jesus. They held nothing back. And then Jesus equipped them to participate in his miracle. He told them what to do. He said, gather them in groups of 50, and they did so. And then Jesus blessed the meal, and he gave it to his disciples and said, now go serve them. And so the disciples took all that they had given to Jesus, that Jesus had given back to them, They took it to the people, and that is when the miracle happened. The food didn't run out. In fact, they had 12 baskets of leftovers. This is a picture of God's generosity. He took a little, and he multiplied it into a generous feast for the hungry. But I invite you to notice here that Jesus chooses to extend his generosity through the disciples. He chooses to work through the disciples. Jesus could have distributed the food without involving the disciples. He could have snapped his fingers and everyone would be fed. And yet Jesus chose to work through them. They made the generous feast possible. They provided the beginning of the meal. They organized the groups. They served the meal. The generosity of Jesus was made tangible 
through the intentional generosity of the disciples. Jesus' generosity was made tangible through the generosity of the disciples. How amazing is that? So you see when God calls, God equips. When God invites, God empowers. And God is calling and inviting us to set a generous feast for the world. One of the things that I'm moved by here at Apex is our Simple Gifts community garden. So we're going to watch a video now to learn a little bit more about this garden and how we are setting a feast for our community. So what's so inspiring to me about the ministry of the garden is that Anne and Fred and the many gardeners who serve there have been intentional about distributing God's feast to those who are in our midst. With just half an acre, they are sharing 2,000 pounds of produce. How amazing is that? And how have they done that? By being intentional by giving what they have to God with trust, with faith, and with intentionality. They've been intentional about their partnerships with who they can partner with that will multiply their impact. And they've been um, intentional about how they can bring all people in to create a community that has a lasting impact on many, many lives. So this story is a powerful example of how we can offer what we have to God with intentionality, and God is in the business of multiplying what we offer so that God can bless the world through us. When God calls, God equips. When God invites, God empowers. So in this season of generosity, of course, we remember that how we are generous with our finances is just as important of how we are generous with our time and our talents and our gifts. In scripture, the invitation to stewardship, to the generosity of our finances, is the invitation to tithe, meaning we give 10% of our income back to God through the church. This is the biblical expectation of those who follow Christ, and we recognize that if anyone is going to give 10% of their income to anything, that takes some intentionality. It requires some serious planning, some prioritizing to make that a reality. And I am aware that tithing sounds hard, that it sounds impossible, that it sounds like an ancient commandment that is outdated and unrealistic. But what I'll tell you is that Kevin and I, my husband and I, have been tithing since we received our first paychecks. And we're very well aware that We could be using the money we give to the church on other things, some of the dreams that we long to do. But the truth is, in our experience, that pales in comparison to the fulfillment we find in giving to the church. I think of how the disciples felt. They had given all that they had to Jesus, and then they got to go hand out basket after basket of bread and fish to hungry people. They got to look at strangers eating together in fellowship, not fighting over the food, which was a miracle in itself. And all because the disciples gave what they had to Jesus, and they did what Jesus commanded them to do. 
So when I see things that are happening through our garden, when I see things that are happening in our youth and children's and music ministries, when I see lives being transformed, when I see hearts being warmed, when I think about the work we're doing with our strategic partnerships with Habitat for Humanity and Family Promise and Western Way Crisis Ministry, when I see the hundreds of people gathered each week to study the word of God and worship Jesus, I give thanks that I have a small part of making that happen. I know that my tithe is helping to expand and advance God's kingdom on earth in the small ways that I can contribute. And I know that my intentionality is combining with your intentionality and together we are making a greater impact than we could make alone. And that is truly one of the greatest joys of my life. So last week you saw a generosity ladder and um, if you have a pledge card, you'll see it on on the pledge card as well. And this ladder is not meant to be a sign of judgment, it's meant to help you Find where you are in your journey of generosity to help you narrate how God is calling you to grow in your stewardship of all the resources that God has given to you. And so today we're going to look particularly at the middle rungs, which read intentional and tithing. So this is when we are giving intentionally, whether that means we're giving 10% or not, but we hope that we are journeying toward tithing as God calls us to do. And so my invitation for you today is to consider how you might take a step on that journey toward tithing. I know it's not something that's going to happen overnight for some of us. I know that it's um, a process that takes planning and prioritizing and rebudgeting. If you have debt, it might mean making an intentional plan to pay off debt first. I get that it's not something that is always an easy, simple solution, and yet the invitation is for you to look at your own life, your own spending, your own finances, and consider how you can prioritize this call to take a step on the ladder towards tithing. And my promise is this. The more you are intentional about giving to God's work through the church— the more you will find joy in giving. It won't feel like an obligation. It won't feel like a burden. When we send in our check every month, it doesn't feel like something I think, oh, we have to do this again. It feels like a joy. It doesn't feel like a burden any more than our gardeners feel like a burden when they produce a harvest to give to others because, because, We are blessed when we get to witness the fruit that our generosity produces. When you give to God's work in the church, you will rejoice in the privilege of being a part of God's generous work in the world through you, through us together in this church. And when I think about Jesus feeding the 5,000 I'm convinced that God is looking around the world at our hungry neighbors, at the people who are standing right before us, those who are both physically hungry and metaphorically hungry, that God is looking at our suffering neighbors and he is saying to us, you give them something to eat. You do something about it. 
And our generous God wants to give a feast of literal food and of love and mercy and grace to our world. And he wants to work through you. He wants to work through me. He wants to work through our church to share his bounty with the people who are standing right before us. God is inviting us to be a part of his generous work. And so the question to ask yourself today is, are you saying to Jesus, send them away, Lord, because I have nothing to offer them? Or are you willing to give your equivalent of five loaves and two fish, all that you are, and watch as God's generosity flows through you to do his miraculous work in the world? Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for the ways you have worked through others to shower us with your generosity. For those who have called us into faith, who have called us into using our gifts and service to others, who have called us to be who you made us to be. We give you thanks for the generosity of those who have gone before us at this church to create the ministries and the missions and the fellowship that blesses us and blesses our community. As we come before you today, we long to give ourselves back to you so that you can work through us to set a feast for others. So help us have the courage to give all that we are to you and give us eyes and hearts that can see who is standing right before us that we might reach out and offer your feast to them. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Oh, yeah.